We're back oh after a prolonged absence and insane technical difficulties that I can't talk about without feeling stabby. Um, the Gen X Cinema Geeks are back. Yeah, I felt like we were uh, reprogramming NORAD in order to get this podcast to go today. Right, because adding microphones is the same as geothermal nuclear war or whatever it is. What is it? Geo, what is it? Geo, global thermal global nuclear war. Global thermal nuclear war. <laughs> it's not far off. I have my Gen X card revoked. I have forgotten war games. I am a travesty and an embarrassment to an entire generation. All right, we'll let it slide this time because you are clearly frustrated. But at least, at, at least I know this about myself and self-awareness, I'm told, is an amazing quality. Yeah. Very so zen. <laughs> so we're back. Uh, the Golden Harp is back with you. Uh, funny story. <laughs> funny story. I was told the other day by uh, a friend that I was listening to our podcast with, because I am one of our four listeners, just in case you weren't aware. Um, I was told that if I used my podcast radio voice in everyday life, that uh, this person would hear and understand me much better. Um, which basically means that in addition to a Gen X embarrassment, I am also in real life... A mumbler. Come on, we have at least five listeners. We actually have nine. Yeah. I mean, uh, nine four, subscribers. Four is selling a short Nine subscribers, bit. but according to our statistics, only four listeners, which means five of you are behind. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I suspect that that has more to do with us than you, and perhaps our content is a little on the cheese ball side on occasion. Well... But that's what we're that's here for. That's kind of our MO, though. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly what we're here for. Yeah. So we thank you all for subscribing. Uh, we thank you for listening. Actually, we have many more listens than that, um, just not in the last like 30 days or whatever yeah. the statistics the, show. The Gen X Cinema Geeks are back with a screaming vengeance, and yes. we are... And possibly because we haven't put out a new episode in 30 days because, well, reasons, but... Yeah, there's lots of reasons. We'll get into that later. We're back. And uh, today we are doing the last... The finale of The Secret Lists. Um, and then we are going to launch into the aughts, the 2000s. The 90s. That's right. The uh, the 2000s will be up on the agenda next, back to the regularly scheduled formatting. Uh, today is the last of the lists, and I hope to God you've brought something more cheerful for us than the last few. Um, Maybe. Do you, have, do you have your envelope? I do. I gave it to you. It's right oh, there. Oh, you did. You did. Folks, I have his envelope. Uh, Rich's secret list for, and there's a big happy face. Thus, I feel that he is uh, trying to set a better mood. Mm. In case you guys haven't listened to before and haven't turned us off yet, uh, he is Rich. I am Chris. We are brother and sister. Together, we make up the Gen X Cinema Geeks, and the show is about the movies we like. <laughs> and the movies we hope that you like, and if you've forgotten them, we hope to remind you of their existence, because they deserve Exactly. Chance. That's right. Uh, these may not be the best movies in the world. These may not be your Academy Award blockbuster, you know, mega... Art house hobby. Yeah, you know. like Roger Ebert is going to hate at least one of my picks, and I'm, I'm okay with that, strangely. Uh, but these are the movies that we like, um, our favorites. Yeah. We hope they become your favorites as well. Rich's Secret List number four. Oh, holy cow. People. Rich has turned it around and he's going with happy movies. Rich's secret list number four are 10 movies that never fail to make me smile, and I hope they make you smile too. That may be the cheesiest, schmaltziest <laughs> thing. Very schmaltzy. It's very syrupy. Yeah, very. And I'm incredibly looking forward to it because your last few lists have been a dirge. To be fair, to be fair, a lot <laughs> of the movies on my last two lists are incredibly well done, well made films. But 
some of them were very, very sad. I mean, we had child drug addiction, child abuse. Okay, we already went through it. Yeah, All right, yeah, look, look, my therapist says yeah. that I've had enough of that. I'm just that. saying, I'm okay. I'm okay, folks. There's no need to worry about me. I'm okay. So my list is going to be what I like to call cinematic warm hugs. So Perfect. I love it. All right. So I, I hope you like my list. So anyway. I will. List. And my list, uh, I'm going to give you guys a heads up. My, my list today is um, filled with maybe a little bit of hubris. Okay. I may be feeling myself a little. All right. Here's her list. Her list is There I Fixed It. Ten movies I think should have won the best picture instead of the actual winner. Caveats must have been nominated. Movies that uh, should have been nominated and were not are on my guilty indulgence card. So, for your list, you are taking on no smaller body than the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science. I am. I'm basically saying... Talk about hubris. I'm basically saying, look, Academy, we understand there's some politics and whatnot going yeah. on there, but... You know, they can't get it right every year. <laughs> and no, I think that the audience rankings on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes prove me right. And a lot of Academy Awards... It's a Award, difficult task for them, to be sure. It is. It is. And and there's people coming from all different sides of the motion picture. And while I have the utmost respect for all of their choices, sometimes, like... I, and I'll use as an example everyone's least favorite Academy Award Best Picture winner, Crash... It's, it's Look, is it a good movie? Yeah, it's probably a good movie. Do you go back and rewatch it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> because it's a movie about terrible people. And uh, thus, that's kind of the basis for my list, is that there are some movies that I think are better. They're, Maybe they they the stand the test of time yeah, better. better. And in yeah. retrospect, perhaps a different choice might have been good. I will try to... Um, I'm not going to do as much like detail about the movies I'm picking as much as a compare and contrast with a movie that actually won. So you want to go first then? It's going to be a super interesting. Uh, yeah, I'll go first, I guess. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm going to be honest. There were a lot of movies that made what I call my stiff list, which is the movies that got stiffed <laughs> that should have had a nomination but didn't. We, so instead we could of, be here all day with yeah, that list. Instead of the guilty indulgences list, I made up the stiff list. So yeah. um, not to be confused with Stifler's mom. So, ooh, yeah. <laughs> and on that note, uh, I'm going to start. Uh, my number 10 is uh, okay. So, this one is just those of you who listen to um, the list of the 90s know that while I admired the visual beauty and some endearing scenes of uh, 1996's The English Patient, I don't love that movie i think it has a terrific score it has a lot of it has some good parts but is it the best picture of 1996 no no it's absolutely not it's beautiful it's nice to look at um but again really like a love story between two really horrid people um i mean i have said before i do love the scene with like uh julia binoche in the church Uh, with naveen andrews like that's beautiful 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 moments in the movie the whole movie though not nearly as good as my pick 1996's fargo uh written and directed by joel and ethan cohen Mm. starring william h macy francis mcdormand steve buscemi peter stormare about a terrible criminal slash car salesman who bungles his kidnap plot of his wife to extort money from his (laughs) father-in-law In typical Coen Brothers fashion, Fargo is dark comedy brilliance. Um, they choose the same actors over and over that they like to work with. And 
for good reason. These people yeah, are fantastic. Great. They always bring it. They, I mean, <laughs> they're fantastic. They're so good. It's a layered story, typical of the Coens. Um, it's got punchy dialogue, typical yeah. of the Coens, some ridiculous situations, but all in all, just a super tight, super entertaining. I mean, you can go back and watch Fargo over and over again and laugh your ass off. You betcha, because it you could is. Probably watch it, you could probably watch it twice in the time it takes to watch The English Patient once. Yeah, and... and <laughs> I, you know, again, look, everybody likes different kinds of movies, and I apologize in advance if my list offends one of your favorites, because I know there are some later in my list that are going to be really controversial, and people are going to be like, um, do not come for Forrest Gump, sister. <laughs> but it's happening. Spoiler. So, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, but, again, keep in mind, these are our favorites, the movies that we prefer the movies that we like the movies that we go back to over and over i just personally think the rewatchability factor of fargo um the entertainment value of fargo and the likability of fargo far outweighs uh the movie that beat it and thus i'm calling it my first in a series of 10 travesties well fabulous all right so for my first cinematic warm hug uh as I'm calling it now, because my new title for the list, I'm going with a fantastic comedy from the You sound the like 80s. Olaf. I'm Olaf, and I like warm <laughs> hugs. Hey, all right, we'll call this the Olaf list. How's that? Perfect. The, the Olaf list. There it is. Olaf list. Um, uh, yeah, my number uh, 10 movie is popular with the Sportos, the Jocks, the Motorheads, the Bloods, the Sluts, the Dweebies. <laughs> <laughs> is it a righteous dude? He <laughs> is a very righteous dude. My number 10 is Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986. Oh, I do not love Ferris, man. Matthew Broderick, Mia Sarah, Alan Ruck famously played hooky from school in Chicago against the uh, the attempted efforts by Ed Rooney to thwart <laughs> their plans. What I love about Ferris Bueller, why to me if this is a cinematic warm hug, as I'm calling it, is because Ferris does everything that he does. He risks getting caught, risks, risks getting expelled and held back in school really to help his friend Cameron, who's so wound up, so uptight, has so many mental problems that he's really just trying to help his friend. And the camaraderie between Ferris and and Cameron is just fantastic. And they go on many adventures. They go to a Chicago Cubs ball game. They go to a museum. They eat fine cuisine at a snotty snooty. I weep for the future. Yeah. <laughs> that scene is so great. I'm Abe Froman, Sausage King of Chicago. <laughs> There's so many quotable lines, so many fantastic situations they get into. And Ed Rooney, the principal who's trying to catch Ferris in the act of ditching school, just doesn't think big enough. He's like, I'm going to go find him in the pizzeria. No, he's actually at a fine museum instead. It's He's he's living larger than, than life in his in his famous day off. And it's just a, it's a great movie. It's a, it's a good lesson. You know, Ferris himself even says the lesson to us a couple times. If you still, you know, don't stop and look around. No, he says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around, you might miss it. Wise words from Mr. Ferris Bueller. And, uh, yeah, it's just too bad the car had to go, though. Wise man. He was the walrus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had to kill a 1961 Ferrari GT California. Less than 100 were made. I mean, it, is his love. it should be, it it should be reclassified <laughs> a horror movie simply for that event. Yeah, I do like the... the the internet fan theory that Cameron and Ferris are actually the same person. It's a, it's a fight club type situation. <laughs> I think you're, and I think you're forgetting to mention the yeah. um, comic brilliance of the short, short appearance by Charlie Sheen. Yeah, that's a classic. And too. Uh, Jennifer Grey, who does 
I mean, if she's, I, she's great as the the annoying sister. I mean, who's if you like, could play any character in Ferris Bueller, I would choose her all day long because yeah. the snark is. Yeah. I mean, she is she, she's so great at it. Why should he get to ditch school and everyone else gets to go? Yeah. <laughs> you could ditch too. Yeah, I get caught. <laughs> she's great. So and again, also John Hughes. His movies are known for uh, great needle drops, and this one has some good ones too. You know, so. All right. All right. Move, are you, are you, I'm done with Ferris. That's perfect. all I have to say yeah, about Ferris. Yeah, I mean, because you could go for a long time. Yeah. You could twist and shout about Ferris for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, twist and shout is classic. So I'm moving into some darker territory now. Um, and if you guys listened to the last episode of The Secret List, you know how much I revere the main character's performance um, in my choice for what should have been Best Picture in uh, the year 2014. By the way, for... Um, clarification sake the academy lists their best picture winners the year after the movie actually came out because they wait for the year to close so they can do you know so they can do voting on the full body of movies that you know met their criteria for the year so i'm saying this movie came out in 2014 but the best picture year was technically awarded 2015 um and this is an this is a year where it's honestly just personal preference right um the actual winner in uh, Academy years 2015 was Birdman. Um, I mean, and, and honestly, there, there's nothing really wrong with Birdman. Like, I don't have anything. I, I'm not going to say, like, my movie is so infinitely superior to Birdman. My personal preference is that Whiplash mm. is the better movie. Um, if I may, I think the reason the Academy lavished so much attention on Birdman was because they were kind of wrapped up in the whole looks like it was shot in one take yeah. thing behind it. Like, right. It was, like, technically challenging movie to make so they were kind of like whoa how did he do that i think that's kind of why they yeah no i agree and what's interesting is that some of my picks when i'm when i'm going back and looking at what won it's because of something that that movie had to make it stand out like the long take effect like an excellent performance like some crazy cool visual effects you know like it did Mm. one thing that was super amazing but i think in terms of like overall movie enjoyment (laughs) that's those are the movies that i'm choosing you gotta go with um And I mean, in terms of overall movie enjoyment, I go with Whiplash every time. Written and directed by Damien Chazelle. Um, It stars Miles Teller. And the only one you really need to worry about is J.K. Simmons. (laughs) Because let's be honest... Bum, the man bum, eats bum, up bum. every he eats every frame he's in. The performance of J.K. Simmons alone just elevates this movie into a place that's that is beyond intense. Um, it, it, it's a movie about a musical conservatory, and yet it's a tense psychological battle. Like I mean, the whole premise is just so absurd. It's not even funny, and yet it works on so many levels. It's number forty-one on IMDb's. Um, so IMDb lets you rank movies and people vote for movies and then it ranks them as number 41. And let me tell you, the company that it's in is excellent. Um, and again, personal preference, right? If you like Birdman, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not critiquing Birdman. I'm not saying Birdman's a bad movie. But for me, Whiplash, and if you haven't seen Whiplash, my God, why haven't you seen Whiplash? Not my tempo. Not my tempo. He is the yeah. biggest a-hole you will ever watch in your life, and yet you're still riveted. And I normally don't like movies with characters that you don't like, right. which is weird, but you're just riveted to him the entire time. No, it's like, um, a, it's like a train wreck. You can't take your eyes off. No, him. you can't. And the, the interesting thing is that like he even tries to justify himself and his horrible behavior and basically his abusiveness towards his students. And like, so you get the feeling that like, he really, really believes that he's doing the right thing. And that's, that's also terrifying. <laughs> the, the line he has there where he says something, and I'm paraphrasing here where he says, 
there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good, good job. job. Yeah. It's, it's chilling. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a, yeah. but the, on the flip side of that is the horrifying fact that Naaman, uh, Andrew Naaman, mm rises yeah. <laughs> to the level <laughs> that possibly it, even surpasses. Yeah, surpasses the level that he thought he could and so it it makes you start to question oh my god did these horrible tactics work or was this kid actually the better one all along there's so much going on with whiplash a lot of questions such a great movie a lot of questions. it's just such a good movie um and i i mean i i've seen it 15 times i still love it so for me wow it's the best picture of the year very good and that's a kind of a modern winner. So I know, right? Look at me moving yeah. in the 2010s. <laughs> so for my uh, number nine happy movie, I'm going way, 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 way back to the 30s. Woo. Ooh, yeah, all the way to 1930, in fact. Uh, these guys never fail to make me laugh. And, you know, smiling can also be laughing. So mm-hmm. this, it, or the, you know, I reel back with raucous laughter every time I watch. Harpo, Chico, Groucho, and Zeppo Marx. And listen, folks, I could have picked any Marx Brothers movie for this slot, but I picked Animal Crackers. And the reason I, <laughs> the reason I picked that one, which came out in 1930, was their second movie. I picked that one because I think this is the movie where they do the most Marxing. If that makes sense. <laughs> like, they were at the height of Marx. Yeah, they were the height of Marx. Like, Don't say Marxism, just Marx. <laughs> yeah. Chico does some really great piano improvisations, which was his specialty. Mar- Mar- uh, Groucho does some of his great one-liners. This is the one where he says his famous line, One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How I got my pajamas, I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's 95 minutes of just Marx Brothers tomfoolery, and it's you know, one joke after another, you know, rapid-fire humor. There's a plot in here somewhere, but honestly... But does anyone care? Yeah, the thing with Marx Brothers movies is, like, no one really cares about the plot. There's some nonsense in here about a stolen painting, but, like, like they figured out in the last 10 minutes of the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, the painting. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. It's just pure comedic bliss, and these guys were... I mean, Woody Allen once famously said of the Marx Brothers that they were touched by God. Mm-hmm. And I, not that I want to agree with Woody Allen on a lot, but on that one, I do agree with him. <laughs> you know, Star Wars versus Annie Hall may be on one of my lists somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> quite possibly. Anyway, long story short, if you want some really classic comedy, if you want to see the origins of great cinematic comedy, you could do far worse than watching the Marx Brothers. Um, they are they were comedic geniuses and their their talent for buffoonery and pulling the beards of high society is well on display in animal crackers lots of lots of old men you know pulling their beards and chortling going, <laughs> and lots of women clutching their pearls going oh my goodness it, it they were the masters of their craft so that is my number nine animal crackers you will laugh your righteous butt off nice uh moving on to my number eight i just have four words for you oh captain my captain (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah oh 1989 (laughs) i feel like your list may be a little bit depressing this year (laughs) no this is are you kidding this is such an inspirational movie it's a it's a sad movie but it's an inspirational movie it's a thought-provoking movie let's move into 1989 folks um how in the name of all that is pure and holy did Driving Miss Daisy beat Dead Poets Society? And those were the ones that were just nominated. 
Yeah, those are the ones that were nominated. So it was directed by Peter Weir, stars Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Josh Charles. Uh, Robin Williams actually considered it one of his favorite movies that he did. And he considered Peter Weir one of the best directors he worked with. And I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) It's a very good movie. A massive talent in a massive role for him where he gets to be charming and quirky and not as over the top as normal. Uh, I find Dead Poets Society to be more than just a tearjerker. Um, it's a very important film about the dangers of conformity, about stifling young people from the ability to be themselves, about not being able to think for yourself. And furthermore, the way that people who try to break out of these preconceived, you know, predetermined boxes are often shut down by society <laughs> just for attempting to do the thing that everybody should be doing. And yeah. it's kind of, um, it's kind of very sad. Uh, so when, there's a famous movie review when I said Robert, Roger Ebert wouldn't agree where Roger Ebert said that he absolutely hated the ending of this movie. I think it's one of the best ending scenes of any movie ever where Todd Anderson finally finds his voice with the O oh, Captain, My Captain stands on his desk and all the other ones do in one last act of absolute rebellion um, and make the headmaster like lose his freaking mind. Even the kid with the tissues and the sniffles and you know, the kid who has like constant sinus infection, he gets up on his desk. Um, the one I wonder why Roger Ebert hated it. I don't know. I think he thought it was too much, a little over the top. Cameron doesn't, but who cares? Nobody liked him anyway. Um, he's still reading his Robert or Pritchard PMD or whatever, <laughs> MD, defining poetry. I guess they had to find a way to end the movie somehow. You know. Yeah. So good. And I mean, the thing about this movie, I'm still watching it 30 years later. It's still relevant. It's still timeless. Um, words and ideas can change the world. It's... It's still a beautiful movie. And look, now, uh, Driving Miss Daisy has Samuel Jackson, or I mean, excuse me, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I mean, and what a great year for him because he did Glory, too. And he's amazing and always great. The music is amazing. It's a cute movie. Um, in my opinion, I just don't think it's as good a movie as Dead Poets Society. And honestly, if everything were fair, Glory would have been nominated and Glory would have won. Or do the um, right thing. Yeah, or do the right thing. But of the movies that were nominated that year, I definitely picked Dead Poets Society over Driving Miss Daisy. Um, I think there were a lot more better movies that came out in that year. Um, and uh, Dead Poets Society for me is uh, is the one that makes my list. The um, Because the others were not actually nominated, they don't qualify for my list. Right, and right. thus they will be seen on my honorable mentions cards later yeah. in the episode. All right, well, moving on to my number eight in the uh, always make me, makes me smile list. Boy, that's hard to say. Um, I'm going again back. That's why to, we're calling it the Olaf list. <laughs> the Olaf list, yeah. I'm going back to the 30s again for number eight with a screwball comedy, which were all over the place in the 30s. That was the genre of choice, probably because of the depression. People needed a little break. So, uh, 1932 gave us Trouble in Paradise. That is my number thirty, uh, number eight. I almost called it my number 32. <laughs> How long is this list? Uh, this stars Herbert Marshall, Miriam Hopkins, Edward Everett Horton. And it is about a, um, a gentleman jewel thief and a, his romantic relationship with a famous cat burglar. Um, and you, and they decide to set their mark as a, um, famous perfume heiress so he insinuates in himself into her life and of course he falls in love with her she falls in love with him the purse snatcher girl is jealous so the romantic entanglements ensue 
the perfume lady also has a couple stiff suitors of her own. So there's all kinds of hilarious hijinks about who's conning who and are they going to get caught and who's going to get together with whom. I'm not going to spoil this one because like a lot of screwball comedies, especially those by Ernst Lubitsch, are just rapid fire. The jokes are, you almost need to watch it three times to get all the jokes. And uh, Did you say the name of it? Trouble in Paradise. Oh. I said the name of it. I somehow missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention. It's called Trouble in Paradise, folks. Um, this movie definitely does have what they refer to all over uh, cinema history as the Lubitsch touch. And for those of you who don't know what the Lubitsch touch is, it's like classy, but yet kind of sassy humor. I'll give you an example of this. There's a scene where the two main lovers are having a romantic dinner and they're thieves, right? Mm -hmm. So they keep doing things like she asks him, Hey, what time is it? And he goes to look at his watch, but his watch is gone. Mm -hmm. And then she produces it from her pocket and says, (laughs) but then she says, it was five minutes slow, so I fixed it for you. It's like, when did she have time to do that? When? I, I never saw her even holding a watch. When did she have time to do that? And then he responds with, well, I hope you don't mind, but I stole your garter belt. And then just quick as lightning, she grabs her legs like, where the hell's my garter belt? And then he pulls it out of his pocket. How did he do that? It's so funny. And you're just laughing your, your butt off because you're like, this doesn't make any sense in any kind of realistic situation, but yet I'm not even bothering to question it because it's just so damn funny. So Trouble in Paradise never fails to make me rollick with laughter, and therefore it earns a specific spot on my list, which is number eight. So, good times. Good times. Funny, funny movie. Very underrated. One of the many you have introduced on the podcast that I will now have to watch. <laughs> and that is why we do this, folks. It, trust me, it's not for the money or the fame. <laughs> or, or the, the glory. <laughs> or the hordes of paparazzi parked out on our lawn. I know. Didn't we pay them off this month? I know. Seriously. Um, okay, moving on to my number seven. This is a movie that I talked about previously uh, during one of my 90s lists. Um, we are back into the 90s, you know, where Gen X lives. It was from uh, 1999, Academy Year 2000. And this one may be controversial for some people because I think a lot of people really like the Academy Award winner for that year. I don't. Um, yeah, it's a, and it's funny because it's a pretty uh, split camp on whether people love it or people hate it. I'm in the hate category, if I'm being real honest. I think it's icky. Yeah, it's cringe. Mm. To use the parlance of the kids these days. So um, instead of uh, American Beauty, which is the cringe movie, um, I have chosen The Insider, uh, which was directed by Michael Mann, starring Russell Crowe, Al Pacino, and Christopher Plummer in a tour de force. A tour de force, as Mike Wallace. Actually, I think Christopher Plummer steals... A good portion of the, the spotlight <laughs> in every scene he's in, right out from under Al Pacino. He's so good. Yeah. Um, it's a thinking person's movie, and I happen to notice that a lot of the movies that I tend to like over the Academy picks are the more thought-provoking, and I'm like, oh, maybe the Academy's like, well, this shit's heavy, you know? <laughs> we don't want to watch that, so they pick something that's, like, more entertaining. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm the problem. I'm fully willing to accept that. Um But what I like about The Insider is that the performances are amazing all around. Um, It's very, it's kind of a slow burn and unraveling a man's life for actually doing the right thing. (laughs) So, and and it mirrors Dead Poets Society in that way too, right? Like, you try to do the right thing and society's like, no, no, we're not having any of that. No, 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 no. (laughs) Shame on you. Please fit back in Um, your box and shut up. (laughs) I do know a lot of people, like I said, like American Beauty. I I find it cringe. I Mm. think um, his fantasizing about the, you know, 17-year-old cheerleader or whatever is 
kind of gross. If I remember correctly. Didn't really age well. <laughs> if I remember correctly, though, I think the younger performers in the movie were better than the they, adults. Yeah, yeah like they Thor really Birch were. was really good. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing, too, is it's supposedly this commentary on, like, you know, the dissatisfaction with the American experience and consumerism. And honestly, the same year, Fight Club did that same story way better. Yeah. And believe it or not, the characters in Fight Club are more likable. <laughs> because One might argue The Matrix did it, too. Yeah, I mean, they go and get their faces beat in, but they're abusing themselves. <laughs> not like you know just turning into a self-absorbed wanker um making everyone around them miserable probably the best performance in the movie is chris cooper if i'm being really honest yeah he's, he's yeah. i mean he's really really he's good at playing good. a creepy yeah um but I found American Beauty to be full of people who were basically awful, who basically learn nothing and basically contribute nothing to um, society. Thus, except maybe some delicious, tasty fast food. Maybe. Yeah. And a and a car. Yeah. After he chastises his wife for his her consumerism about her couch. Right. So, you know, I mean, the hypocrisy abounds. And this, my friends, is why I am a fan of the Insider, the superior movie. In my not even humble personal opinion. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my next movie. I love my next movie so much. Well, I hope you love all your movies because they make you smile. They make me smile. This one, oh my God, I love this movie so much. Number seven, this is the first of two movies on my list with Audrey Hepburn. Uh, also with the peak handsomeness that is Gregory Peck from 1953. I, this is Roman Holiday. Also with Eddie Albert. And the fourth star of the movie, it really has to be said, is Rome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn plays a princess whose regimented duties are getting on her nerves so bad that she decides to sneak out and explore Rome incognito. Where she runs into ace reporter Gregory Peck, who, like a good reporter, knows a scoop when he sees one and shows her around Rome while kind of slyly getting a story on her in the first place at the same time. Oh man, the, the, I want to go on this adventure. Every time I watch this movie, it's like, why can't I be in Rome with Audrey Hepburn on the Vespa going chow and seeing the Coliseum and eating gelato and looking at all the fountains. And, and these people are just so charming. And this movie is so, so fun to watch. And I like the uh, tomfoolery that goes on between Eddie Albert and Gregory Peck. Cause at first, Eddie Albert, who's the photographer, doesn't quite get what's going on. Mm-hmm. And Gregory Peck's trying to tell him without really telling him. <laughs> so that makes for some great comedic situations. Fun behind the uh, scenes fact of this movie, though, when they were shooting it, Gregory Peck said to the producers, um, you better campaign this girl for an Academy Award because she's going she's gonna to be nominated. She won, actually, that year. So there's an Academy tie-in with your list, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> deservedly won Best Actress for this film. And Gregory Peck, Peck was so impressed with Audrey Hepburn that he insisted that she gets top billing in the movie. Wow. And she, she, was a, uh, she was the up-and-coming one. An early feminist. Yeah. Look at him. <laughs> so Gregory Peck was like, no, 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 no. This is her movie. I will gladly take second billing for this film. So, And he did. And he was he's terrific in it, too. So Audrey, Gregory, Rome. I mean... Sells itself, right? I mean, I, mean, I, w- I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love Roman Holiday. It's the you could, yeah. I mean, it's like a good get cozy under your blanket, get co- you know, per- pet your cat, get a good cup of coffee, kind of a movie. 
So espresso. Espresso, yeah. Because it's Roman. <laughs> yeah, good call. Just yeah. Isn't Roman. that their thing? Or yeah. is that the French? I don't know. I got nothing. It's something European. Yeah, it's European. Yeah, whatever. eat some pasta. Cappuccino. <laughs> Cappuccino. Cappuccino sounds Italian. Yeah, I don't know. whatever. Anyway, Roman holiday, it's classic. My knowledge of the origin of coffee is startlingly bad. Yeah. <laughs> and who knew until right now? Yeah, so I apologize to whichever European country gave us the yeah. espresso. I'm going to Google it. Google yeah. it while I talk. All right, go for it. My number six movie is one that I know you're going to agree with me wholeheartedly on. Oh, that's always a like it's not even it's not even a question. But I kind of feel like the Academy doesn't like this guy, uh, and it's from the year 2010. Uh, the actual winner. It is Italy, by the way. Okay, see, I was right. The actual winner uh, from 20, from 2010, the 2011 ceremony, is the King's Speech. King's Speech, good movie. Again, this is one where I think it was anchored by one really solid performance. Of course, Colin Firth did a great job. I would argue, too, because I like Jeffrey Rush. I do like Jeffrey Rush, too. Amazing actors. I mean, British royalty. These guys are amazing. I love them. And it's an okay movie. It's got Helena Bonham Carter in it. She's great. It's a a little slow for my taste, you know. Um, And even though I find it to be a good movie, I kind of feel like it's... It's not nearly as original <laughs> as the one I picked, which was Inception. Uh, Love me some Inception. I know, and that's why I said you'd agree with me. But I'm not sure the Academy loves Christopher Nolan, which I think is a crime. Um, but it was written and directed by him. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, Elliot Page, uh, Cillian, Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy, Killian Murphy, uh, Marion Cotillard, um, She's a snack. It's brilliant, okay? Inception, so original. And it may be too much for some people, which I think may be why it was edged out by King's Speech. Like, the Academy might be like, yeah, a lot of people aren't going to get that, right? Like, um, about, you know, shared dreams and dream intrusion and... um, It's it's heady sci-fi. Yeah, some of the stuff they're able to do. um, But, I mean, let's be honest. It's a very unique movie. It's a unique story. The actors are phenomenal. I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You could put Joseph Gordon-Levitt in literally anything, and I'm going to love it. He's so great. JGL, you're amazing. Especially when he sings um, in 500 Days of Summer. He sings the Pixies at karaoke. So good. Mm. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Sidebar. Uh, it's a very complex plot. It's beautifully filmed and executed. The effects are absolutely crazy. The fight that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has in the hallway. Um, all practical, by the way. Yeah, all practically done. Absolutely insane. Tom Hardy is just his cheeky, charming self. Such, such an interesting movie. And then at the end... You mustn't like, be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. That's right. And I don't want to give anything away, but at the end, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> what just happened? And you're just watching, and it, it leaves you on such a crazy note. Um, One cannot uh, talk about Inception and not mention the score by Hans Zimmer with all those big... Brawl. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the score by Hans Zimmer with all the big... Brawl that he just talked about, which is amazing. And I mean, look... Again, King's Speech, good movie, passable movie. I don't have any problem with it. And I, but best picture of the year, I mean, Inception was so fresh and so different and so unlike anything we had ever seen. And it's so crazy good the way it's done that I just, um, in my personal opinion, like there's good movies and then there's the best movie of the year. And Inception is the best movie of the year. It was a big tent pole movie and yeah it's it's 
the Academy tends to shy away from the big tentpole movies, I guess, for some strange reason. I don't know why. But I don't here yeah. on the Gen X Cinema Geeks podcast. Yeah, because you're hashtag basic. That's right. But in this case, the basic one, and then even though it isn't basic, is actually easily the best. And speaking of the best, uh, my number six movie is often cited as one of the best movies ever made. Uh, it usually tops every list, or at least in the top ten, when people say, the greatest ever because everyone was so happy to go over the rainbow. Oh. Yeah, you know where we're going with this one, folks. Number As six. As mayor of the Munchkin the city. city. I mean, it never fails to smile. I'm startlingly good at that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know Stop. what I'm, I'm basically a munchkin. Yeah. Well, you're almost the right height, but you're, you're a little taller. Anyway, number six is The Wizard of Oz. Victor Fleming directed it. Judy Garland, Ray Bolger, Frank Morgan. Can we please clarify right now, though, too? Mm. Sorry to everyone out there who I'm going to offend. It's the Lollipop Guild. It is not the Lollipop Kids. Fair point. Lollipop Guild. Uh, yeah, The Wizard of Oz. One of the best movies ever made. I mean, you know, I don't even need to go into the plot. You know the plot. If you don't know the plot... Do you live under a rock? Yeah, <laughs> please come out from <laughs> If that. you don't know the plot, you are Brendan Fraser from Blast from the Past. Right, exactly. What she just said. The Wizard of Oz is... One of the most deliriously delicious, brilliantly executed films of all time is high fantasy in its purest form. The songs are all bangers, especially Over the Rainbow, which has been covered eight billion times, but no one has ever done it better than Judy Garland. Except for Kermit the... No. I don't think Kermit ever did it. If he did... Did he not? Google. Oh, I'm thinking of Rainbow Connection. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. I'm going to go back to my corner. (laughs) (laughs) Go sit in your corner of wrongness and be wrong. (laughs) If I had to excise one thing from the movie, it would be the uh, If I Was the King of the Forest song, because that's just kind of a bleh. That's when I go make a sandwich. But uh, other than that, this movie is is just pure fantasy perfection. I mean, everyone has borrowed from The Wizard of Oz since, including Mr. George Lucas. Um, and yes, the Pink Floyd thing does work. I have, I have, have you done that? I have done The Dark Side wow. of Oz. It's it's really trippy. Were you high? We can't talk about that. It's no. A fam- it's a family I, show. Shh, shh, shh. No, to be fair, I actually wasn't. I actually wanted to do it not um, in any kind of way compromised because I wanted to see if it actually worked from a aesthetic. Like yeah, as a, from a analytical point of view. It does really weirdly add up. So, yeah, I did do The Dark Side of Oz. For those of you who don't know, really quickly, is the rumor is if you play Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon album while watching the first 45 minutes of The Wizard of Oz, they weirdly synchronize with each other with the music and the sound of the album in a weird, trippy way. It's kind of it's kind of fascinating, actually. But um, no, The Wizard of Oz, I mean, I can't really say much about it. I mean, everyone's probably seen it at least once. It's probably, you know, one of the most highly regarded movies of all time, if not top five, like I just said. It's... Judy Garland was probably never better. The if I only had a songs by the three friends are great, especially if I only had a brain. Oh my gosh, so good. Yeah. The, Mar- Although I think the Tin Man has the more has a beautiful voice. He does, and who can forget with only twelve minutes of screen time, Margaret Hamilton is the Wicked Witch, easily the best cackling crone of a witch you've ever seen on screen ever. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Um, it's just classic. As an as an adult, when I watched The Wizard of Oz, mm. it, when I was a kid, I thought that there was so much going on. But as an adult, I watched it and I'm like, this movie makes so much sense because it's about a woman who just wants to have cute shoes and be with her dog. Yeah, 
that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Makes so much sense. Oh, yeah, and Toto. Yeah. Toto, great dog actor. I mean. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and the cowardly lion too with his uh his uh his oh, oh gosh <laughs> and it's just great and i'm melting i mean who doesn't quote the wizard of oz on a daily All basis practically i'm melting melting i'll get you my pretty so that's really all i have to say about the wizard of oz it's there's really not much more i can say about it everyone has seen it everyone's talked about it it's wizard of oz for god's sake just go watch it again leave me alone i'm kidding actually that's it's a fairly good segue just because of the enormity of the movie for the year it was made right like it was a pretty ambitious project Um, speaking of academy trivia if i may interject victor fleming who directed it won best director that year for gone with the wind he directed both movies in the same year Speaking of movies that should have won over the one that did. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the wrong choice there, yeah. Wrong Victor Fleming movie. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there, right? Um, my number five, oh, the enormity of this film. So I'm going to put this out there, just say it straight out. Um, there were no better movies in 2001, 2002, and 2003 than Lord of the Rings. Period. And I feel sorry for every other movie that came out that year. because it, They cast a long shadow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chicago's a great movie. Chicago won uh, in the 2003 ceremony. And, I mean, the enormity of talent in Chicago is off the charts. Catherine Zeta-Jones just brings everything she has. Uh, She's a freak train of sass. I mean, it is Absolutely ridiculous, and I always love John C. Riley is great, and um, Queen Latifah too. Queen Latifah, oh my God, <laughs> Mama, she's Mama, right? Yeah. L- love Chicago, I do. And in any other year against any other movie, I would fully support Chicago Best Picture, but nothing at the cinema could compare to Lord of the Rings in the first three years of the aughts. I'm sorry. Which one was that? Two Towers. Right? Yeah. Two Towers came out the same year in 2002. Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. I started listing the cast, and honestly, Fellowship of the Ring is on my list as well. So, like, I had to split the cast between both cards or we'd be here all day just listing the amount of people that are in Lord of the Rings. So, for this one, it was directed by Peter Jackson. We all, I mean... And and thank you, Peter Jackson. <laughs> and thank you, Weta Workshop, <laughs> because you guys created a world that is magical and unique and fantastic. Um, starred Kate Blanchett, Hugo Weaving, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Bernard Hill, Christopher Lee. Um, oh, my God. Christopher dude, Lee. two words for this movie. Helm's Deep. Okay? Helm's Deep. Not only is this... An- epic battle but it's completely practical right well most of it's practical right i think there is a little cg here and there but yeah there's some cg yeah yeah. but for the most part like those guys were out in the middle of the night on this completely created set in the middle of new zealand (laughs) freezing rain costumes Mm. fighting this massive battle one of the coolest things i think about these um about the Lord of the Rings movies is that is the world building, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So they took pains to create symbolism and imagery and costumes unique to each race of people in Middle Earth, which is a completely fictional place, right? And they built actual live sets for these actors to work on. There's some green screen, yes, but for the most part, they put them 
in real places and filmed some of the most fantastic fantasy unreal movies that you've ever seen in your entire life and in my opinion they're some of the greatest movies ever made nothing can hold a candle it's not chicago's fault chicago is a great movie i'm not knocking it whatsoever and two towers actually the the reason it's number five is because it's the middle movie right there's no there's no beginning there's no resolution it's all like exposition it's all the middle it's all set up. <laughs> and it's still the best film of the year because <laughs> it's freaking amazing. You forgot to mention how absolutely freaking brilliant in that movie Andy Serkis is. Oh, Andy Serkis is brilliant with his motion capture. Yeah. Well. And I mean, they, they revolutionized an entire way of building. They even tried know, to rewrite the rules of the Academy to get him a nomination for supporting actor because, you know, they actually ruled against him, though, because he's not physically on screen, but... Yeah, absolutely insane. Which is kind of BS, if you ask me. And, I mean, the scores of these movies? Fantastic. What, Howard Shore, right? Yeah, Howard Shore. Howard Shore, oh my God. <laughs> we also take a moment to give, I actually thought about this recently, a, a moment of appreciation to the people who handled all the equestrian duties. Yeah. Lots of horses in this well, movie. Well, I, I remember watching some of the special features and whatnot, and apparently they had a, there weren't enough horses in New Zealand yeah. to accommodate what they needed for the Rohirrim and for all those things. Yeah. So they had people from all over the island bringing their horses yeah. to be in this movie, and then they still had to, to CGI a whole bunch more horses yeah. in to get the kind of effect that they wanted um, because it's so, the scale of it is yeah, just, it's mammoth. the scale of it is off the charts, and that is why like I... I'm sorry to every other movie, I'm not saying there weren't some bangers in those years, but I personally think that there was nothing on the screens in those years that could possibly compare. So um, so that's my number five, and I'm going to gush about it more when I get to Fellowship, but less, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So my number five movie on the Olaf list, as we're now officially calling it, is uh, a movie that I'm actually going to be seeing in theaters tomorrow. Yeah, uh, thanks to uh, the Studio Ghibli Fest that is occurring right now. Uh, Gotta love Ghibli Fest. Yeah, I love Ghibli Fest. As anyone who's listened to this podcast for as long as we've been making it knows, I am a big fan of the movies of Hayao Miyazaki. And there's no way I was going to make a Make Me Smile list without doing at least one Miyazaki movie on here. Do you only have one? I only have one. And it's not Totoro? I tried i it was a toss-up between totoro and kiki my my number five is kiki's delivery service well, I, I knew that because i knew you were gonna go see it tomorrow but... yeah totoro almost made the list i love him i love totoro and he totoro's so great he and i have the same body style yeah. <laughs> wow but i went with kiki because kiki is uh, the animation is so beautiful it's breathtaking it's as good as anything disney has ever done probably even better in some cases Kiki's about a young... It is really cute. Yeah, it's about a young girl who... And Gigi. Yeah, Gigi, her cat. It's about a young girl and her cat who go to live in a seaside town so she can fulfill her year-long obligation as a witch to live on her own. And when I say witch, I'm not talking about cackling crone, cooking people in a cauldron kind of witch. This is more like a, uh, you know, a, like a Harry Potter kind of a witch. Like she's working for the forces of good, sort of speak. But she... Rents a small little apartment in the bakery and just starts her own little business making deliveries for people on her broom. And she meets all kinds of new friends. And this is just a feel-good movie. It's, a, again, a warm blanket movie. It's a warm hug movie. You just, you just fall in love with Kiki and her little misadventures and 
her little scrapes that she gets herself into and out of, and you just marvel at the breathtaking animation that Studio Ghibli does. They're so known for it. The tale is a little bit more simplistic than, say, something like Princess Mononoke or Nausicaa, but it's stunning. It's it's gorgeous. Can you know, to make one comment? Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that floored me about the dubbed version yeah. that has um, Chris, Chris Dubs does, doing yeah. the voice of Kiki. Yeah. Gigi, her cute, her cat is yeah. so cute, yeah. and he has the most crass voice. Yeah, it's <laughs> Phil Hartman, ever. the late Phil Hartman. And you're yeah. like, wait, what? Yeah, I like when he they're in the like the grocery store and he sees a coffee mug with a black cat, and it's like, look, Gigi, it's me. <laughs> or look, Kiki he says, look, Kiki, not Gigi. He is Gigi. Um, there is a really great scene at the end of the movie where her her little male friend Tombo is a. Uh, almost involved in an air accident and she has to find her confidence to rescue him because she loses her faith at one point. And it's just a good story about finding yourself, finding where your place in the world is. And, you know, it's a good lesson for kids, but again, Miyazaki movies, great for kids to enjoy, but they're not only for kids. Everyone can enjoy a Miyazaki movie. You don't have to be a jaded, cynical person. (laughs) Anyone can do it. But it helps. (laughs) Yeah, kind of, yeah. So that's my number five, Kiki's Delivery Service. It's it's gloriously beautiful. So, yeah. What do you got? Awesome. Speaking of jaded and cynical, back to my list of things that everybody else got wrong. I'm just kidding. Um, My number four, okay, this is another one that I know you're going to agree with me. I'm just saying. Can we talk about 1981 for a minute? Yes, let's. <laughs> Can we talk about the action movie magic that Steven Spielberg brought to us that created one of the most beloved franchises of all time, one of the most beloved action heroes of all time, but God knows the Academy doesn't like action movies. Um, when you put the magic of Steven Spielberg with Harrison Ford, <laughs> uh, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, George John Lucas. Davis, George Lucas, and you come up, well, and John Williams... <laughs> John Williams, MVP. And you come up with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Somebody, excuse me, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, no, no. It was Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. And that is how it will forever be. Pluto is a planet. Yes, putting Indiana Jones and the in front of it with them trying to sell more DVDs. I understand. Raiders of the Lost Ark. How does Chariots of Fire, even with the beautiful score by Vangelis, beat Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I mean, we can even go score for score, and I'm still going to vote for John Williams, okay? Because that crap is iconic, and every time you hear it, you know you get, like, roused up, right? And you're like, I'm going yeah, to go mow the lawn right now. Like, that's how excited that that, that score makes people. Pound for pound, it might actually be my favorite John Williams score. As much as I love Star Wars, I think I have a, I think Raiders is his best. I think so, too. It actually won four Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is number 57 on IMDb's uh, favorite movies list. So it's an action flick, but it's also kind of a period action flick, right? Mm-hmm. It's a classic. It's set back in, uh, you know, history. It's historic looking. Yeah. Historic looking. Um, it's a fun, rousing adventure starring a sort of an anti-hero he's supposed to be like this nerdy archaeology professor and yet he goes on these crazy adventures and tell me how i never had any professor a that was as cute as as harrison ford and b that could crack a bullwhip um and or shoot a gun with that kind of a plum and who wore that you know jaunty hat and whatnot um it kind of blends modern sarcasm, <laughs> the modern sarcastic action hero trope with old Hollywood look, sensibility, and glamour. His best line, um, his best line is easily, 
It's not the years, honey. It's the, <laughs> it's mileage. the mileage. And people <laughs> quote this movie to this day. You know, here, even so I'm, I referenced 500 Days of Summer earlier. Okay, even when he does his montage there when they're uh, playing Hall and Oats, which is possibly the best needle drop of all time, FYI. When he looks in the car, the car window and sees his reflection, who winks back at him? Indiana Jones, <laughs> because that's who or it might have been Han Solo. I'm not sure. But Harrison Ford in the late 80s could literally do no wrong. He was basically minting gold in his basement. Raiders of the Lost Ark, such a good movie. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand it. I know Chariots of Fire is some, you know, great, you know, human study and sports rah-rah. I don't know what it is. I don't know. But I tell you what it is compared to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Boring. That's what it is. And Raiders of the Lost Ark still stands tall to this day. It's still amazing. It, it, because of the classic look, it still looks relevant. Even yeah. when you watch it now, and it still, to me, is the standard bearer of what an action film should be. One of the best things about that movie, my humble opinion, if I may do a sidebar here, is the... You can always do a sidebar about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is the scene where the government guys are telling Indy about the mission and how the Nazis want the Ark and everything like that. And, you know, Harrison or Indy tells them what the Ark is capable of and everything. They do literally all the exposition you need for the entire movie in one three-minute scene. The rest of it is just action. It's so good. It's, so, it's, it's just so a, tight. It's and you so know what tight. else I like? I like that back in those days when, like, you know, sexual politics were different than they are today. Karen Allen, she's a badass. She drinks that guy under the table in Nepal. Right? Like, she's not some like shriveling, violent. Oh, save me, save me! Like, Unlike the second she film, she is a yeah. She's a spitfire, and she's amazing, and I love her. Uh, yeah. So, are you done with Raiders? I. I, I better be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so my number four, as promised, is the second movie on my list to star Miss Audrey Hepburn. Yay! Yay! Who doesn't love Audrey? From 1963, I picked her legendary teaming up with one Mr. Cary Grant for Stanley Donnan's spy caper comedy thriller, Charade. Look, Charade is... Or Charade, Charade, as they say in some parts of the world. Charade is classic. It's it's one of those movies where like everyone understood the assignments. The movie stars were there to be the movie stars. You never for one minute think they're in danger, even though there's a plot about stolen money and the Nazis during the World War II, and these people are coming to get Audrey because they think her her late husband secreted her the money somehow, and they're after it too, and Cary Grant is trying to help her, but he has different aliases because his motivations are a little sketchy at best. Look, who cares? This is just two movie stars going through a bunch of adventure action scenes, looking fabulous doing it, falling in love as you normally do. This is one of the best examples of Hollywood doing a Hollywood movie, if that makes sense. It's so deliriously entertaining to watch. I never fail to smile watching it. Audrey Hepburn has some of the greatest one-liners ever. In this movie, they gave her a lot of the pizzazzy lines, which which Cary Grant has to play like the foil. Like I said, one great example of this is, is um, of course, she's falling in love with him because he's Cary Grant. And because of his job, he has to give her many aliases through the movie, right? So she never knows what his real name is. So at the end of the movie, she goes, oh, I hope when we get married, we have a lot of boys so we can name them all after you. <laughs> One critic said, maybe this movie should have been called Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> oh, it's funny. 
So again, charming score from Henry Mancini, two movie stars at the top of their game, some great set pieces. Walter Matthau shows up as a CIA operative. Um, there's chase scenes in Europe. He's so great. Yeah. <laughs> there's chase scenes in Paris, I think, is where the movie takes place. And slight spoiler alert. I'm not going to give it away, but Audrey does actually have the money. She just doesn't know it. And that's the fun of the movie, actually. So if you haven't seen Charade, it's just, it's a delight. It's a delightful movie, and I could watch it all the live long day. Carrie and Audrey, I mean, it's a crime. It's a crime against humanity that they only made the one movie together. So. I thought they weren't Supreme. That's Humphrey Bogart. Oh, Humphrey Bogart. And William Holden. Well, there you have it. Yeah, no. In fact, a reporter supposedly once asked Cary Grant um, what he wanted for Christmas one year, and he said, all I want for Christmas is to make another movie with Audrey Hepburn. Oh. Yeah. Cary Grant, class act, the definition of a class act, classic actor, classic movie star, and damn good looking, too. <laughs> Just, re- just ridiculously good looking. He's, like, obscenely is, handsome. I got Gregory Peck and Cary Grant on my list. Obscenely good looking classic Hollywood movie stars and the always gorgeous Audrey Hepburn. Take it away. Okay. Uh, I'm a little scared because this is the year when I make people mad. My Starbucks is going away. This is the year when I make people mad. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah. Is it the big boat? It's the big boat. All right, folks, this time we talk about 1990. So let's address the elephant or, or the cruise ship in the room. The, the ocean liner in the <laughs> let's room. Let's address the ocean liner in the room. And let's talk about why Titanic should not have been the best picture um, at the 1998 awards. Look, people love Titanic. I get it. I love Kate Winslet, too. And I love the Kate Winslet-Leonardo DiCaprio relationship in real life. Um. Titanic has incredible visual effects. The things they did were amazing. The sinking of the boat, the way it cracks in half. It's, it's, it's spoiler, a technical marvel. Spoiler alert, right? Like it won all of like every single, you know, technical award possible. But I'm just going to come out and say it. The script is hot garbage. Okay, it's not hot garbage, but it's not it's not worthy of the rest of the movie. Okay. Some of the lines are super cheesy. Um there is a pretty hefty amount of cheese. That may have been once, that may have been what sunk the ship. It the weight of the cheese. Yeah, it's possible. And even though it's super, super entertaining and super emotional and the song will go on and on and on forever. The best movie in my personal opinion that came out in nineteen ninety seven is LA Confidential. And it's not even close. Um, directed by Curtis Hansen, starring Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, and Kim Basinger, all of them in career-defining performances, which are so, so good, especially when Kevin, Sp- Kevin Spacey's like the Tin Man. He realizes he actually has a heart hiding under his expensive suits, right? Um, Kim Basinger won an Academy Award for it for Best Supporting Actress, and good for her. She deserves it. Everybody deserved it. <laughs> it's incredible acting all around. The script is far better. It is edited amazingly. There is nothing wasted. Um, the visuals are also astonishingly beautiful. The editing of the uh, interrogation scene where Guy Pierce is going between the interrogation rooms. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, so, so, so good. Um, well, this one's ready to crack. <laughs> yeah. The, the period... It, it's a period movie, right? And just the the look of the movie, the costumes, the sets, the makeup, the hair. 
it's so beautifully done. It's so it's it's like a it's a detective noir from the 1930s set in the modern city of Los Angeles. Um, not what, well, but it looks like the thing. It looks like, it, it, yeah, it looks like I'm saying it, it's reminiscent of those noir films, right? Set in the 50s in modern Los Angeles. It's so, so good. And I mean, people had said for a long time that you couldn't possibly take James Elroy's brilliant novel and turn it into a movie. But not only did they do it, but they did it better than any other movie that came out um, that year. And I don't know why. I, I Honestly, this is one of those where, like, if Titanic hadn't been what Titanic is, I think this would have been a no-brainer. Um, but I think the... Like I said, the visual effects that go into Titanic, the enormity of Titanic is what... The scale of the production. The scale of it is yeah. why it won the Academy. And I get it. I mean, I get it. But this is my opinions of what should have been Best Picture, and I'm telling you... I think Titanic uh, won the year after English Patients, so clearly the Academy had a thing for... They were, yeah, they were they had, big, Well, they had a thing for... movies They had the a thing for lovers torn asunder kind yeah. of movies, you know? Yeah. And I mean, maybe LA Confidential was a little heavy for them, but honestly, the Titanic script is subpar in comparison to the acting. While it's good, it's not as good. I don't know. Like, everybody in LA Confidential, as you would say, understood the assignment. They're all bringing it. They're bringing it. I don't know what Curtis Hansen did to those people, but let me tell you, they all are. I think all he had to do was point the camera fire. at them. <laughs> I, so so good, um, so good. James Cromwell. I mean, the guy from Babe. Come on. <laughs> he is so, do you, David Strathairn. Do you people is, know how tall James Cromwell is? He's a big dude. He's a big. Dude. Here's the thing. He's in um, Star Trek: First Contact. He's like a half a foot taller than Riker. Wow. And Riker, if you've seen Star Trek The Next Generation, he's a big dude, too. Yeah, big dudes. Big dudes. Um, Simon Baker's in it in an early role. Danny DeVito. I, there's something about L.A. Confidential that, in my opinion, like it, it grabs you, it engrosses you, and it's so, so well done that um, I, I, I think it's the superior film. And that's all I'm going to say on it. Well, there it is. Okay. Well, since you're calling my list the Olaf list, I think it's time we dipped into the well that is Disney. Yeah, I suppose if I'm going to have at least, uh, you know, a top 10 list of movies that make me smile, there's got to be at least one Disney movie on here, right? That's fair. And I could have picked a literal, uh, this list could have been all Disney if I really want to get down to it. So I decided to do just one. Well, some of them are kind of sad though. Yeah. And that's the thing. So which Disney movie do I pick that makes me smile throughout the whole movie? Right, even though there may be some sad bits in it, and the one I landed on was a Pixar movie, and I went with 2007 Ratatouille. Oh, that's so good! I love Ratatouille. <laughs> How can you not love Ratatouille? It's about a little rat who thinks outside of his the box that he was born into. Right, he's a rat. He's the enemy of the restaurant business, but yet. He wants to be a fine chef. He wants to cook the greatest food in the world. And what better place to do that in Paris, right? So he <laughs> comes up with this kind of weird Frankenstein relationship with Linguini, the kitchen boy, where he kind of puppeteers him, <laughs> this human meat sack that is this plaything, <laughs> And they come up with this scheme to turn him into the greatest chef in the world. He, you know, he does all the work, but he gets all the credit kind of a thing. And the voice cast in this is just phenomenal. Jeanine Garofalo, Patton Oswalt, Peter O'Toole, Ian Holm. And they're all just 
firing on all cylinders. Michael Giacchino does a great score. The animation is superb. The one thing, I mean, Ratatouille makes me hungry. <laughs> like, I look at all this food that they're cooking in the moon, like, God, I want to go to Paris so bad and just eat at every restaurant in the place, you know? It's such a great, charming movie, and it's it may actually be my favorite Pixar movie, and that's and that's no shade to any of the ones. I love The Incredibles. I love a Wall-E. But there's just something about Ratatouille that just just charms the heck out of me. And I, I think you'll all find it charming, too. There's a great scene, too. By the way, being that I'm a nerdy, nerdy film bougie boy, there's a scene. And you're finally acknowledging it. Oh, and yeah. That yeah, brings yeah. me joy. Yeah, there's a scene where Remy is running through the like a Paris apartment house or something. He's in the rafters. And he looks down into a room and he sees a man being held at gunpoint by a girl. And they hug. That is a, I think that is a direct reference to a famous quote from French filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard, who famously said, all you need to do to make a movie, all you need to make a movie is a guy, a girl, and a gun. And so I think that was an homage to him. <laughs> side, sidebar there, I'm afraid. You know, Disney films are pretty famous for having all kinds of like little hidden nuggets. Yeah, in them, I think know? that's like, one of them, actually. Yeah. I think they homaged the entire French New Wave right there in like a three-second throwaway scene. So, but Ratatouille is just literally one of the most brilliant animated movies possibly ever made. So, I mean. There might be a Disney movie on my stiffed list. Yeah. I think Ratatouille is one of those movies where, like, if you watch it and you don't enjoy it, yeah, I hate to say this because it sounds snobby, but you didn't get it. <laughs> because it is one of those movies about being more than the sum of your parts. You know. Well, or, and being more than what is expected. Exactly. Yeah. Being, yeah, trying to think outside the box that you're put into kind of a yeah. thing. So, yeah, don't well, just hork it down. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing about that is that it's not just the humans that are opposed to Remy's cooking. It's the rats. Yeah. Right? I mean, his own people. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't want to see him rise above the box. Yeah, the, the, dad, the dad says food, you know, food is fuel. That's all yeah. it is. It's not, it's not anything to be, it's not an art form. Yeah. And Remy's like, no, 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 but look at the soup I made. It tastes like <laughs> heaven, you know? So, exactly. You got exactly. a little it, yeah, it's very, very cute. Um, all right. Wow, we're getting close to the close to the top. These are my top two, should have been. And uh, I talked about Lord of the Rings ad nauseum when I hit the two towers um, around number five. We have moved on to its predecessor. Number two, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, 2001. It was beat by A Beautiful Mind. What is this devilry? Yeah, what is this new devilry? This foe is beyond any of you. Wrong! Again, I split the cast so that I wouldn't um, have to give the entire list both times. Directed by Peter Jackson, starring Elijah Wood, Sean Bean, Viggo Mortensen, Ian McKellen, Sean Astin, Orlando Bloom, John Reese davies Liv Tyler. I mean, Ian Holm. I, you could just continue. Um, and one of the things I thought that was pretty cool was that despite... Some big names, right? Christopher Lee and McKellen, Sean Bean, um, Viggo Mortensen had done some stuff. Like for The Hobbits, I mean, Elijah Wood and Sean Astin were, um, Sean were pretty Astin well known. Yeah, but he also cast some relative unknowns. Billy Boyd was unknown at the time. Dominic Monaghan was unknown. Orlando Bloom was unknown at the time. This is his first Circus. movie. Andy Serkis, unknown. Mm. Um, and I, I like that he wasn't afraid to kind of create his fellowship from some like household names and also some 
you know, hey, let's throw some new folks in here <laughs> because they fit the part. Um, the casting is one of the things that's great about this movie. Everyone kind of like fits their role. They're great. And again, nothing comes close. Um, I don't want, I'm not going to go into the story omissions. I'm not going to be one of those like canon people who's like, oh, but they left out Tom Bombadil. Yeah, whatever. That's in The Hobbit. But you know what I mean? Like, yes, it deviates some from the from the books. I get it. Yeah. It's fine. They're still freaking entertaining. They're still off the charts amazing. They're still absolutely beautiful. They're still fresh. And they're still amazing. Beautiful Mind, decent movie. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. It's a decent movie. Russell Crowe. Always dependable, always great. I love Paul Bettany. Love Jennifer Connelly. Love them together, too, actually. Um, but, again, without belaboring the point, I think the horse is already dead. Um, nothing, nothing was better than Lord of the Rings in the early 2000s. And The Fellowship of the Ring may actually be my favorite of it the is three. My and I may have, uh, I hope that this apology is not too late, but I may have tortured everyone I know during that year with the soundtrack for the movie, especially the whole Casa Doom. Oh my God, the Bridget Casa. How do you not I play that thing. That I played that track so many times. But again, I think that that goes into world building, right? Like they created this whole sound for the dwarf kingdom that is relate. I mean, it, it's got our heroic music throughout, but the Bridge of Casa Doom, that is dwarf music. Yeah. And... It's all created to to too. like make these different parts of Middle Earth mm. unique and stand out. Each part sounds different. Rivendell sounds different mm. than Moria. You know what I mean? Like, they sound different than Rohan. Mm. Everything is it's those little nuances and touches that just make it so phenomenal. I want to give a shout out to one thing that I really love about all those movies, particularly the first one, is the action scenes are cut so brilliantly because they're not overwhelming. They don't do that thing where they hi- like Michael Bay does with the hyper cut. Yeah. We have forty-five shots of one punch. Yeah. I don't need that. Just yeah. show me one good long tracking shot of people kicking ass, and I'm good. Like the scene where Aragorn does like the crossing with the sword and starts swinging it at the orcs. Well done. Like no ten thousand edits. No. CGI. It's just yeah, one guy. Just one badass with a sword. One guy badass with a sword beating up ten thousand stunt guys who know how to fall properly. Well, and then there and then there's Legolas with his unlimited arrow quiver, which is freaking yeah. awesome. But I mean, he, he just goes arrow, 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 and then he and then he busts out his little fancy knives and everything is. It's just yeah, the it's action so scenes in the Lord of the Rings are just so well done they're so it's just so good the horse chase when the ring racer chasing arwen oh my gosh how wow just so well cut yeah and then she gets the other side of the river and she turns into an elven princess badass which is freaking awesome if you want him come Come and claim him him. that's right the beautiful thing about um one of the things i like the most about fellowship i am going to pontificate a little bit is the time that we get to spend in hobbiton um in the shire because you get to see the idyllic like innocent um, lifestyle of the hobbits so that when they get when they move out into the world starting in Bree and then moving forward you can see the actual like how dark and scary it is oh, because because it's, it's a contrast yeah it's the contrasting yeah. with with where they're from and you know hobbits just like yeah. their ale and their comfy couches and their pipes and their little holes comfy in the ground couches. yeah I mean honestly like my list. yeah right um 
And the time spent in the Shire, I think, is sweet, and it, it really enhances the experience of the hobbits as they become like more weather-hardened, world-weary, um, you know, as they go on their journey here. It's, it's such, such a good movie. That's the worst line in the movie. This is the furthest from home I've ever been. But there's a certain truth to it, though. There is. It's the bean that drives me insane. But, I mean, look, I can handle one bad line in a three-hour movie. It's totally fine. Like, I can live with that. (laughs) Um, I actually don't like the one that actually I will raise raise your bad line. The guy who plays Galadriel's man-elf, and he's like, I cannot see him from afar. What he says about Gandalf. <laughs> that guy does irritate me. It's not his fault. I think it's just a weird line to begin with. And they made him sound like all slow motion. Like, I don't know, it's just weird. Yeah, maybe. But it does have Hugo Weaving in it. And he makes And Kate Blanchett, too. And Kate Blanchett. Blanchett is just, I mean, God, I love Kate Blanchett. Yeah. yeah. All those movies are great. They're yeah. super great. You know what? One of my favorite, favorite moments. It's so small, but we talk about how they created these worlds, right? Especially, like, can we give a shout out now to Weta Workshop who like handcrafted weapons and like emblazoned them with the symbology of the, you know, the realm where they originated from. Rohan swords look like Rohan swords. Right, and elven swords look like elven swords. Amazing. But um, one of the things I absolutely love is when they're, they're on the river Right, and they're they're traveling by the Argonath, and it shows that like long pan up to the top of the statues, and you see the little birds fly out from the eyes where they've built their nests. It's such a weird little detail, it's those kind but of it moments. just yeah. yeah, it just sets a tone that's just yeah, and the music is swelling and yeah, because yeah, you know they're about to come you know yeah. come across something because Legolas tells you a shadow and a thread has been growing in my mind. Yeah. Something draws near. Um, why do I know all the words? I don't know. I might have seen it too many times. Yeah, it's great. Saruman. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I have a feeling you guys are going to be hearing a lot more about these movies when we get to the 2000s, so I'm going to cut it here (laughs) and move on. Okay. We're at my silver medalist, my number two, and this is by far the one that you'll be smiling the most at because it is the longest. So there's three hours of smile opportunities for this one. The hills are alive, folks. Aww. Aww, my number two. How could I pick it? Climb every mouse. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, my number two is The Sound of Music, directed by Robert Wise from 1965, starring the incomparable Julie Andrews, MVP from one of your earlier movies, Mr. Christopher Plummer, uh, also Richard Hayden, Eleanor Parker, a bunch of kids, a bunch of nuns. Like The Wizard of Oz, this is a movie where I really don't need to go into the plot that much because unless you've been in a coma for 100 years, you've probably seen it or at least know what it's about. The songs are all bangers. Austria is a great star in the movie as well. Do, Re, Mi, my favorite things. 16 going on 17. You know, the Von Trapp family escaping from the Nazis. Edelweiss. Edelweiss sings. Edelweiss is so great. He sings it at the festival at the end. The Sound of Music is literally one of the most charming movies ever made. A lot of people say it's sappy and it's saccharine, but no, I think there actually is, if you watch it carefully, there is a level of sarcasm in it too that is really, really, um, it's subtle, but it's there. It's it's there. Uh, interestingly though, my favorite song in the movie is not sung by Julie Andrews. My favorite song is actually 16 going on 17. Sexual politics aside, because she's like, I, you know, I want someone to take care of me or whatever she says. It's just a great song and they're dancing in the gazebo and it's so sweet. One nitpick, my only nitpick of the movie is after the intermission, there are no new original songs. It's all reprises after that. It's like, no, you could have you thrown a new one in there somewhere. 
But that's just a small little nitpick of the movie. The lonely goat herd, the puppet scene is great. Um, one thing I did notice on my last watch of it, though, this is just such a funny little thing, like one of those things where you just pick up random details. Every time they go outside, every time they go to any kind of outing whatsoever, the character of Brigida, played by Angela Cartwright, I think she's the middle daughter. I think she's like 10 or 11. She has some of the sassiest hats in the movie. Like she wears a jaunty chapeau everywhere she goes. And they're like, she has one with like a buckle on the on it, and she has another one with a feather. Her hats are fabulous. I'm like, how did this little girl get a better wardrobe than some of the, some of the other characters in here? It's it's funny. It's just a little weird little detail. Well, oh, maybe this. that's her character. Yeah, I know. Like good for good for Brigida. So it's just a funny little nitpick, I guess I found. But yeah, it's again impossible to be in a bad mood when you're watching The Sound of Music. And also has to be said, classiest breakup ever. When the Baroness realizes that the captain is like goo goo for Maria, she just bows out so gracefully. She's like, I get it. You love her. I'm out. I'm not going to make a fuss. I'm going to walk out of here with my dignity intact. And she does. She's just like, peace out. I'm out. And that's it. You got a lot of people give, give the Baroness a lot of, you know, a hard time, but no. She's class. She's a class act. Well, she is a baroness. Yeah. I mean, so there's that. Yeah. You don't have to be a baroness for being a schlep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. Good. Go see the sound of music. It's great. You should. I, you I've should. actually seen it on the big screen. I highly recommend you do it if you yeah. can. Yeah. It is great. And I mean, can we talk about Julie Andrews for a minute, mm. by the way? Not only yeah. is she beautiful and still is to this day, yeah. FYI, her voice is so clear it's it's not even just her range because there's a lot of singers that have range but her voice is so clear and it's just so beautiful one of my favorite behind the scenes stories of the sound of music is you know the everyone's favorite shot the opening shot where she's twirling in the mountain singing the hills are alive they had to film that with a helicopter, but the downdraft from the helicopter blades knocked her down every single time poor thing (laughs) but she kept doing it she got up like a trooper every single time, and finally they got it right. I don't know how they did it. They came in at a different angle or something, but they finally got it. But she she kept doing it over and over again. I think they did 20 takes. Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. And she was like, yep, let's do it again. Go again. <laughs> so God bless Julie Andrews. She's yeah. a she's a class act. And Christopher Plummer's she good, is. too. Despite the fact that he hated being in the movie, Christopher Plummer's quite good in the movie, too. So well, Shame on him. He used to call it The Sound of Mucus. Shit, you know, <laughs> why do you hate nice things, Christopher Plummer? And uh, well, he was notoriously cranky. You know, he, he was a rat, a trained actor. You know, he mm. might have thought it was beneath him, but probably. You know, what, can you, what can you do? It is what it is. Yeah. He later went on to play a Klingon, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so turnabout is fair play. Yeah. So well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, are we on to my number one? You're on to your number I'd one. say already, but we've been talking for an hour and twenty minutes. I would really, really cry. Yeah. Um, all right, this is where I make a lot of people mad. I mean, listen. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I snuck a peek at your card. Yeah, I'm going to make a lot of people mad right now. And I'm sorry. I know a lot of people love the movie that won Best Picture. They do. I get it. I get that you love it. I'm very sorry that I don't, but I don't. 1994. But And, you know, oh. here's the thing. I mean, I think it's defensible because if you look at it, my movie that I chose is the number one top rated movie on IMDb and it has a 98% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And yet it went 0 for 7. And it went 0 for 7 and people love 
my movie, even though other people like the, you know, the one that won. So let me just put you out of misery. In 1994, uh, in the 95 Oscar ceremony, Forrest Gump won Best Picture. And uh, look, I love Tom Hanks, too. I do. And I love Lieutenant Dan. And Lieutenant Dan! I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Ron Howard movies. Aside from Robert Zemeckis. Uh, Robert Zemeckis. Oh, that's right. It is Robert Zemeckis. His it best is. movie is easily Back to the Future. It is. Um... I don't love Forrest Gump. I think it's... Um, it's very sappy. There's two camps for Forrest Gump, too. There's people who revere it, and there's people who think that it's a little bit too much. Yeah. And for me, I'm in the second camp. Like, there's good performances, but it's too long, it's too boring, it's too saccharine for yeah. me. Um, I, I prefer... The whole running subplot, like where he goes for like the three-year run. What yeah. point did that serve the plot? I don't know, and that's why I'm saying, like, I, I get that Forrest just kind of goes his own way, and it's about mm. a life, and that's great, and I like it, but it's not the Shawshank Redemption, okay? In 1994, the Shawshank Redemption, like he said, went 0 for 7, it was directed by Frank Darabont, starring Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, and I talked about this movie a Greatest lot. narrator ever. Oh my God, Morgan. I want Morgan. Can you narrate my life, please? We talked about Shawshank Redemption when we did the 1994 podcast. I love this movie. It's so, so good. It's a movie about hope. It's a movie about humanity. It's a movie about how you can find a will to live in the darkest places. It's about um, friendship. It's... It also has one of the greatest turnabout is fair play moments of it all time. It really does. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> his vengeance is coming in that right soon or whatever. So, so, so good. Uh, I mean, it's hard to watch. There's some terrible scenes with the sisters. Um, but the Mozart and the courtyard scene I mean, gets me every time. Absolutely. Just... It's just astonishingly good. The fact that it went 0 for 7 is deeply depressing to me. And I honestly think, I, I think, I'll be honest, Academy, I don't like a lot of your picks in the 90s. Okay. I'm just going to say it. Like, How I think. I did it only get seven? I mean, it, I can easily think of three more. I probably should have nominated for. How did I, Morgan, Fre- oh, Morgan Freeman was nominated? He was nominated. But Tim Robbins was Tim not. Tim Robbins was not. There's. How do so many or people? Gunton, for that how do so many people love Shawshank Redemption and the Academy did not? Like I just don't get it. I really don't get it. And I think, I mean, again, we know the Academy is somewhat political and they do all kinds of lobbying. And maybe it was Zemeckis's year. Maybe it was the studio's year. Maybe it was Tom Hanks's year again for the yeah. second year in a row. I don't know. What I do know is that I think the Shawshank Redemption is by far a better movie. I watch Forrest Gump now. It didn't age well. I find it boring. You know, it's tedious. It is. It's it's drawn out. It's, there's some individually beautiful shots. In there the movie. are. Yeah. There are. And there's some good things to it. And Forrest Gump is this sweet, innocent character, and I get that people love him, and mm. and that's wonderful. But um, I mean, honestly, Jenny was kind of a jerk. You know, she really. And I mean, I get Lieutenant it. She, Dan had his moments. Too, she was hurt, and hurt people hurt people, and all that stuff. And I get it. And it is what it is. But honestly, like, if I'm gonna watch, if I had to pick. A DVD or, okay, let's stream these days because, you know, it's not 1982. If I had to stream Shawshank or Forrest Gump, I'd pick Shawshank every single time. Every time. And that fact alone tells me that it's it's probably the the better movie. Yeah. One thing I will defend Forrest Gump on, though, it has a banging soundtrack. 
look, that's, I'm, doesn't, I'm not that doesn't trying to, movie, I'm not though. trying that to hate. Yeah, movie. I'm not trying to hate on Forrest Gump. It's not my pick. It's right. not my personal choice. If I had to pick yeah. between the two, I'd pick Shawshank. That doesn't mean that everybody feels that way, and yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. I 100% get that. But again, if you want to talk about the virtues of Forrest Gump, start your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this happens to be mine. Right. I grabbed a microphone and thought you guys cared. I don't know why. Hmm. I did mention hubris at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, to me. Shawshank. It's one of the greatest tra- the greatest travesties in Academy Award history. Simply be not only because I like Shawshank better, but because it's so highly rated by audiences, by everyone who's seen it. It beats oh, no, Forrest no, 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 Gump no. in every single like audience rating category. Oh, Forrest Gump is definitely the inferior film. It is. It just is. All I'm saying is it has good music. That's it does. <laughs> Great music. Um, but that wraps up my. Um, Ego maniacal uh, rewriting of Academy Your Award history. Twirling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my devious rewriting of history, and uh, let's uh, let's hear your number one. My number one. Hopefully, it's not as is uh, uh, going to cause as much conflict as mine. No, no, mine's actually very very charming. And again, it's another movie where, like, if you haven't seen it and you need a warm hug cinema movie, you could do a lot worse than this movie. It is. It's also from the same year as one of the movies you just talked about, two thousand one. And so he did receive five Academy Award nominations and lost every single one of them, including Best Foreign Language Film. My number one is Amelie. Oh, that's such a good movie. Yeah, sorry. Audrey Tatu, Matthew Kasovitz, Rufus, and a bunch of other really uh, talented French people, Dominique Pignon being one of them. It's about a shy waitress named Amelie Poulion, who, through her uh, desire to help everyone in her life, uh, fails to sort of help herself and it's about how everyone sort of rallies around her when she needs them and they sort of lift her up to help her achieve her dreams as well that's the most simplificate simplifying of the plot i can come up with but it is literally without a doubt you look at the word charming in the in the dictionary there's probably a picture of audrey tattoo staring back at you from amelie especially that scene where she's holding up the spoon before she breaks the creme brulee just such a visually inventive and clever movie. One thing I like about the movie was they wanted Paris in the movie to look really romanticized, so they brought their own cleaning crew. So every, <laughs> so every time they went to shoot, a, every time they went to shoot a location, they touched up the paint, they cleaned the like the train station, they swept the floor, they mopped the floor because Paris is kind of notoriously dirty in some places. <laughs> but they made Paris look like the romanticized version of Paris. So a brilliant performance by Tattoo. She's absolutely just adorable. She's fantastic in the movie. Um, the way she interacts with everyone around her. I love, I love the way she looks out for the uh, mentally challenged kid that works at the fruit stand. Um, and also the way she looks out for her uh, neighbor who has a disease where his bones are super brittle. And she just... She's always looking out for everybody else. It's a it's about a movie. Uh, it's a movie about a person who looks out for those who can't look out for themselves in some ways, and it's really really cute. It's really just adorable. And I'm telling you, people, Amelie is my go. If I'm having a bad day, if I'm going through a rough time, and I need a quick hug, I put on Amelie, and it works every single time. Every single, I'm always in a good mood after watching Amelie, no matter what is going on in my life. What's interesting is that I my go-to warm hug movie is Penelope. Mm. Um, That's a good one, too. But it's it's funny because I feel like the visuals are comparable. You know what I mean? It does have a, a lot, lot of, of the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah the aesthetic yeah. is uh, yeah. is not far off. So maybe yeah. it's that like fantasy real world. I hate what people call <laughs> twee. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, Amelie could be described as twee, I suppose, but I just, I hate that term. I also hate when people call characters like Amelie the manic pixie dream girl, mm-hmm. because I get it. She was created by a man and she's like the perfect woman and I get it, but she's a great character. Yeah. I mean, she's a human character. She has faults, you know, she has her issues and... and and there's nothing wrong with being a pixie. Yeah, you know, I, I also love all the little elaborate schemes she makes for the the one guy go through to, yeah. to meet up with her, like the whole like follow the arrows up the fountain thing and all that stuff. It's uh, the returning of the uh, the photo album, and he's a kook too. The guy <laughs> he collects torn up photos from photo booths and reassembles them. What kind of hobby is that? It's so strange. It's quirky. It's quirky, it's quirky. and adorable. Yeah. Amelie is literally one of the most adorable movies ever made. Yeah. Full stop. Just, it's a 10. It's a 10. It's a perfect 10. <laughs> nice. Uh, France, merci. Merci, France. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I should um, qualify how I did my honorable mentions. So again, I talked about the stiff list, which is, that's, I didn't do um, Guilty Pleasures this time. I did the stiff list. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are movies that should have gotten the nomination but did not. My honorable mentions are movies that were also nominated that didn't win, but I didn't think they were maybe quite as egregious as the ones that made my top ten. So there we go. So my honorable mentions, 1977, Star Wars. The only reason that's not on my list is because Annie Hall, by all accounts, is a fairly good movie. And Diane Keaton's amazing. So. I apologize, but here we are. Uh, in 2006, I would have chosen Munich over Crash. Uh, in 2011, I thought that both uh, True Grit and The Social Network were probably better than The King's Speech. True Grit was a great movie. Yeah, it, really it really was such a good... And, you know, a lot of the remakes it's I'm not a huge dude. fan of, but that one was really, really good. I think that one's better than the original, actually. Yeah, so good. Uh, 2012, I love Moneyball. Um, and um, does anybody remember the artist? Anybody? I mean, it was it was charming and quirky, but has anybody watched it since? Probably not. Um, Twenty nineteen. Uh, everyone has a lot of hate for Green Book having won, and I can see why because Black Panther is a far superior movie and should have been the first Marvel to take Best Picture. If I'm being honest. Um, Twenty fifteen again. Poor Birdman, but Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, Wes Anderson almost made my list actually could have beat it Uh, 1986 let's go back to the 80s both Witness and The Color Purple I would have chosen over Out of Africa Um, anything over Out of Africa (laughs) I mean let's be honest 1995 poor Forrest Gump is just taking a beating on this list Um, Pulp Fiction (laughs) I get why it didn't win honestly because I think it's so violent it's probably not to everyone's taste but such a great original movie from Quentin Tarantino I liked Quiz Show better as well well, um, 96, can we please talk about Sense and Sensibility and how it didn't beat Braveheart? Look, Braveheart's all right. Very historically inaccurate, but Sense and Sensibility is just genius. God bless you, Dame Emma Thompson. Um, 1998, another poor Titanic abuse. I would have probably picked Goodwill Hunting, um, if I'm being honest. And in 2000, The Sixth Sense is a better movie than American Beauty, in my humble opinion. I do have a couple honorable mentions, if I might. Uh, I almost put the Italian crime comedy Big Deal on Madonna Street on here. because it's, Well, who wouldn't? It's about a bunch of bumbling thieves who are so inept, they don't even know that they're trying to break into another room in the same apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And speaking of great uh, crime capers, I almost put The Sting on my list. I mean, it's pretty hard to go against Robert Redford and Paul Newman just being as charming as ever. 
And because of one scene and one scene only, I did not put Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory on my list. Oh, is that the one on the boat? Yeah. That the chicken gets it? That's yeah, weird. that's it's gross. It's just weird. It's yeah. like, no, I have to disqualify the whole movie because yeah. that scene is so out of place in the it's whole, fair. That's in the whole fair. damn movie. It's just so... Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> it's so dark. But other than that scene, Willy Wonka is... Oompa Loompa. I mean, it's just... It's adorable, so... And you actually just mentioned it in your list. I almost put the Grand Budapest Hotel on my oh, list because it's yeah. Wes Anderson and it's every inch of it screams Wes all the way throughout it. And it's just Ray Fiennes just, just having the time of his life. It's great to see Ray Fiennes doing comedy. It's just a great movie. So that's really all I had for honorable mentions. What do you got for stiff? Or do you want me all to write right. guilty? Uh, you might want to do your guilties because this list is very extensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll go through my guilties real quick. Because of its nerdy uh, comic book reference and video game references, one of my guilty pleasures is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so, first of all, can we just take a moment to appreciate Chris Evans playing an arrogant a-hole actor he's actually really funny yeah, like when you put really, him in comedy because yeah, he's great in so knives funny. out in yeah. knives out he's hilarious yeah he's great as this up his own butt actor in in scott pilgrim i also put arthur oh yeah with dudley, dudley moore and uh, liza minnelli i almost sir john gilgood yeah, is so good. he is the reason why i almost put on my list because john gilgood has some of the best lines of that movie and also has the when you get caught between the moon and new york city so yeah. <laughs> And lastly, um, aside from some off-color jokes that haven't aged well, I almost put A Fish Called Wanda oh my God. on my list. Because, <laughs> I mean, anytime you get any combination of the Monty Python boys in the yeah. movie, there's going to be some guffaws and some laughs. But Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein being is just the most arrogant idiot. Don't call me stupid. Yeah, the most arrogant <laughs> idiot you've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Smelling his own armpits. It's yeah. just, he's, yeah, what the... F are you doing robbing your own house, you jerk? <laughs> so, so funny. Yeah, and that's all I have for guilty indulgences. So let's hear your stiffed list. All right. Yeah, keep in mind, folks, these are the movies that I think were deserving of an Academy Award nomination. I'll also tell you what won that year so you can judge for yourself, but this is my stiff list. 1981, can we talk about The Empire Strikes Back? Did not get nominated. The winner was Ordinary People. Um Empire Strikes Back, arguably the best of the original Star Wars movies. I wouldn't even say arguably, except for I do like A New Hope. With the, I think A New Hope has better world building. Yeah, well, it is what it is. That's a debate for another day. 1983, traumatizing. Gandhi won, arguably a good picture. Ben Kingsley's great. But how is Blade Runner not even nominated? Don't, no. Don't. <laughs> I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. We don't have enough time no, for how Blade Runner... I mean... The opening narration. Come oh, on. Oh, just, oh. I mean, two in a row, Harrison Ford. Bangers. They must hate him. I don't know what it is. And again, I had Witness. Should have won. And I had Rage of the Lost Ark. They don't like Harrison Ford, I think, is the ultimate thing He makes too much money, apparently. Perhaps. 1988. uh, I forgot to write down what actually won, but let's talk about The Untouchables. Didn't get nominated. The Princess Bride was not nominated for Best Picture. That was the last Emperor year. Yeah, last Emperor year. Not going to say anything bad about The Last Emperor, but I mean, come on. These are banger movies. 90. In the year of driving Miss Daisy, Glory. I already said Glory. Sh- it would have been my pick for best picture. I bawled my eyes out, and I still do every time I watch it. Such a good movie. I mean, Denzel Washington won, well deserved. It won sounds too, I think. Yeah, but that's not enough. It's yeah. just, it just didn't go far enough. Uh, Ninety six, the year of Braveheart again. How is the Usual Suspects not nominated for best picture? Or seven? Or seven? I mean, I, think, I, I think just. 
I What's just in the box? don't understand. I'm so confused. 97, the year of the English patient, which everybody knows I am a huge fan of. Not uh, Primal Fear didn't get nominated. Sling Blade did not get nominated. Hamlet did not get nominated. All of them probably better movies than the English patient, but I digress. Uh, ought to Memento. Mm. Super original, super cool. Guy Pierce is great. Uh, great debut for Mr. Christopher Nolan. 2000, oh, 2005. Hotel Rwanda. Speaking of bawling my eyes out in the movie theater, Hotel Rwanda absolutely killed me. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Great freaking movie. Not nominated. 2006. Um, what should have beat Crash? Pride and Prejudice. I know people are going to hate me like, but the Colin Firth version is better. Stop. A stop. It, okay? wasn't, it wasn't a movie. It, was a it also series. didn't come out in 2006 <laughs> when Crash won Best Picture. Okay. I'm just saying. Judy Dench. Okay. Dame Judy Dench. Choose up the screen as usual. Uh, 2000. Fight Club. How is Fight Club not nominated? Um, 09. The year Slumdog Millionaire won. Can we talk about The Dark Knight? Again, they don't like Christopher Nolan. Can we talk Grr. about Can we talk about Doubt? Such a good movie. Wally. Wally. Yeah. Speaking of bawling my eyes out in the movie theater. <laughs> can we talk about Wally for a minute? Um in 2012, The Year of the Artist, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, probably the best movie of the year. Couldn't put it in my list because it wasn't even nominated. But honestly, you have a who's who of British talent, including the incomparable Gary Oldman, who absolutely crushes this movie it's such a good movie it's it, very complicated it's very cerebral it's mm. probably why it didn't get nominated i get it mm. i find it kind of interesting that like some years because the academy only nominates up to 10 year, movies right or now now, 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 they're, now, they're, now they're just doing straight 10 yeah but like it is kind of hard to narrow it down to 10 because some years are just absolute banger years oh, yeah, like I nothing agree. but good movies come out but some years it seems like they struggle to find 10. Yeah. I mean, I think... even when they struggle, they omit some really good ones. I think 96 is a year that would have benefited from being able to nominate 10. Yeah, because you um, would have got something like Train Spotting in there too, maybe. I mean, some crazy, mm. crazy good movies. Mm. Um, or maybe like uh, uh, like uh, Breaking the Waves or something like that. Yeah, just absolute. Anyway, that was a lot. We talked a lot. Um <laughs> I apologize if I offended your favorite Academy Award winner. Again, these are my picks. Um, I don't expect everyone to agree with me. Yeah, I only broke out into song once, so we have that to look. I mean. And we did have our obligatory Denzel mention. We did. Denzel yeah. Washington, Academy Award winner Denzel Washington. And since we are about to go into the uh, 2000s, I'm going to tease a little bit of my 2000 list because I'm already starting to do it in my head a little bit. We may see the triumphant return of one Miss Juliette Binoche. We might. Oh, speaking of Denzel, by the way, that's another movie that wasn't even nominated. And I don't know um, The Tragedy of Macbeth. That was, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago. A couple of years it ago. Get some nominations. But yeah. Not best I, I mean, and, you know, it, I, I tried to purposely leave off the years that were pandemic years because I think they were pretty probably challenging. Like, I would have picked The Sound of Metal over Nomadland personally. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think those years were hard to get movies out. And yeah. um, so I, I didn't put them on the list because I, I feel like they were kind of confusing for I everybody. Dune over Coda, the new yeah. Dune over Coda any day. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's just, but I mean, I think that the, I, I'm trying Not to give Hollywood, yeah, I'm giving Hollywood a break for the last few years simply because I feel like they all went through the pandemic with us and, uh, and it was a challenge. So that's all we have for now. Sorry it took so long to get it out. Like I said, reasons, I'm, I'm actually going to school as well as working. And so it, it, it's me. You can blame me. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, didn't you want to make a little dedication for this one? 
Uh, we want to de- dedicate this episode to our dad. Our dad passed away one year ago today, and I want to dedicate it to my friend Aaron, who was in a horrific accident and who is recovering. Life is short, people. Yeah. If you don't stop and look around, you get better, Aaron. If you don't stop and look around, as Ferris Bueller says, you could miss it. So make sure you hug your loved ones, go home, kiss your pets, uh, tell the people you love you love them, um, and be good. Be excellent to each other, as Bill and Ted would say. Sage advice from the likes of Bill and Ted. Yeah, isn't it funny how sometimes the campiest movies can have the best advice? That's usually how it works. Yeah, Yeah. that's all I've got. Somewhere over the rainbow for us, folks. That's all I've got. Back to uh, uh, year counting coming up, the 2000s. 2000s. I'm very excited. You get it. Yeah. Be prepared to hear a lot about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, And with that, this is the Geeks out. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Go. Chica chica.